Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Hi, everybody. It is just me today. Uh, last week, I had some family stuff I had to take care of, and this week, Bill's got some family things. So today, I am flying solo today, uh, but that gives me a great opportunity to explore a couple of things that have been on my mind that I'm really excited to get into today. Um, so the first is a project that I've been working on that I want to tell you guys about. And then the second thing that I have for you is uh, going over a TikTok video that I made that went viral-ish. I'm not going to say like viral because, you know, I'm not dancing or flashing my boobs or anything like that. <laughs> but for a religious video, it got a lot of it got a lot of views. And so I really want to talk about that. So if you're not interested in the Gen Z stuff that I'm going to start with um, and you're listening to this after I'm recording, just skip ahead a few minutes. And uh, I, I do want to talk about this TikTok video that I made that went viral. So I. Before I get into that, I wanted the people on this podcast to be the first to know that I finished my Gen Z spirituality program. I've been working on it for months because a lot of the feedback that I get is that, you know, I had order and structure growing up from religion. Parts of it weren't great. Parts of it were okay. But then you deconstruct religion and it's hard, but hopefully you find a few others and a few podcasts. And after a while, you kind of start to make your way. And then the, the next thought, the, the literal next thought is what about my kids? How do I teach them that there's more to life than things? How do I help them to find otherwise adults other than me to teach them about the meaning of life? How do I give them tools um, when all the tools that I had, I left behind in in my religion? How do I answer their questions about the universe and life and God when I'm just trying to figure out those questions too? How do I help them find out who they are and their path? Because if you grew up with religious parents, you were given a path, right? And that probably didn't work out for you at some point, but it may have gotten you started in life. And so I've been studying Gen Z and my master's program was really focused on, on Gen Z spirituality. And I really love working in this, in this complex space and so I'm excited. I put out a program with some families who tested it for me and I got feedback and I'm finally introducing my online course that is specifically for Gen Z. So the hardest thing about this space is that a lot of non-religious spirituality is aimed at adults. So second half of life, with which Bill and I talk about all the time. Um, which is all about authenticity and deeper relationships and ego dissolving work and shadow work. But for first half of life, those are not the tools. So when you're a teen, you're actually really not encouraged to do things like shadow and inner child work because it can make you feel a little crazy and unhinged to really work into your shadow and really dig into your inner child because you're still kind of a child. 
So you have to actually develop an ego before you can jump into the shadow of your ego. And you have to be a child and a teen and a young adult before you can do inner child and inner teen work. So ego dissolving work isn't healthy for the first half of life. First half of life, it's healthy to develop an identity and ego and safety and order and structure and a sense of self. So a lot of the tools that are available that I'm seeing for non-religious spirituality aren't the tools that are best for teens and young adults. And then there's also a lot of things that are unique to Gen Z. For example, this statistic, some of them like don't surprise me, but this statistic surprised me, which is that millennial or sorry, Gen Z is twice as interested in who Jesus is as their millennial parents. So for millennials, it's like 30% are interested in learning more about Jesus or historical Jesus. And for Gen Z, it's over 50%. And so what's interesting is that, you know, the millennials either if you're a millennial, you're either your parents or grandparents probably told you things about Jesus or you went to some kind of church on Sunday. Maybe you had to read out of the Bible when you were younger, but Gen Z didn't get all that. Um, so all of this hullabaloo about Jesus and, you know, seeing people with Jesus tattoos and crosses is really kind of mysterious for Gen Z. Um, but then reading the Bible is so outside their language and their learning me medium. And it truly is like reading a different language to them that they're probably not going to read the whole New Testament. They're certainly not going to dig into 2000 years of, of history um, when it's just not broken down in a way that they're learning right now, which is on the internet. And so another thing that I, another unique thing is that growing up, I didn't have tarot cards or crystals just like at Target. Um, you'd have to go into some really kind of niche shop in order to get some of these things. But there's a growing sense of paganism and the occult and witches and full moons, certainly a feminine up, uprising. And Gen Z is very curious about all of that and how they can use these tools to tap into their own path and their sense of self and intuition. But it's like we as a millennial generation and Gen X are largely deconstructing and we haven't had enough time to really reconstruct a whole world and set tool and, and, and a set of tools for the next generation. So if you're feeling lost or adrift and you see a TikTok tarot reader tell you what kind of month it's gonna be, for Gen Z, that's going to sound intriguing at the least. Um, and so after years of study, months of work, I put together a teen spirituality program that would help a teen or young adult who either isn't participating in religion or maybe their religious experience isn't fully working for them, help them find their spiritual path. So with Gen Z interests and research and first half of life and even the medium of how I deliver this information in mind, and so these are not long conversations like I usually have on this podcast with me and Bill. These are short 10 minute videos, super relevant. Sometimes I bring up someone on social media or I'm quoting the Simpsons and I have quick slides going on behind me with my face uh, on screen talking and captions underneath so that it looks like a YouTube video or a TikTok video, but it's breaking down what spirituality is and what options they have and what resonates with them. So by the end of the program, a team would be able to verbalize what is spirituality, what is their higher power, that may be science or humanity or a version of God or the earth, just something that is bigger than them that they're a part of, um, which is really good for your, 
for your mental health and decreasing anxiety and depression, which we know for Gen Z is very high. And then what are the kinds of contemplation? How do you feel connected? Which one of these options really resonates with you? Um, what is what is awe and the science behind it? How do they experience this feeling? Where are they on the balance of order and chaos? And what tools do you implement based on where you are? And each of these lessons, by the way, has a, a journal or discussion questions at the end. So you can just pop it on, watch the video, have a conversation and be done, um, which is great for, for busy teens. And then, you know, what are the core values that drive their authentic decision making, how to find your meaning and purpose in life and why it's important, how to increase love for, other, for others, and especially for this age, for yourself, guided meditations to help with that. Uh, morality, why being a moral person is a good part of life, even if there's not a God watching over you. How to begin to start writing their own story, how to find what voices inspire them and how to find their people. Um, there's a chapter on tarot and the occult and how to use these tools in a way that help them to learn about themselves rather than the spiritual bypassing way, which is if you like this video, you'll get good luck on your new relationship. And there's a ton of that that they are getting online, which is very superstitious kind of a cult. Um, and so that's the main introduction to spirituality class that is part of the program. It comes with a workbook if you want to assign your team to do this or just questions at the end so that you can start to model in your home. You know, this is what mom thinks. This is what dad thinks. What do you think? Um, there's a 10 day meditation challenge. Again, it's like, there's a lot of resources for adults and these long meditations. And there's a lot of resources for kids, which is, you know, put a stuffed animal on your belly and practice breathing, but not so much with teens. And so I worked with a teen meditation expert to really develop the core essentials for working with your mind when you're a teen. Um, I, I included a section on political values, really, again, building up the ego. What are my political values and where do I fit? What do I have to offer in this bigger conversation? Uh, because Gen Z is curious about Jesus. I have a Jesus section, which includes all my favorite Jesus stories that's taught in a way that's applicable to them, but not requiring or denying any beliefs about who historical Jesus was. Um, and then I have a section for parents on my favorite resources, books, voices, podcast episodes for how to parent teens um, or tweens, you know, even just that generation below when you're in this space of trying to find your spiritual path, but you're wary of fundamentalism and truth claims and spiritual bypassing that are just lurking around every corner. And so I'm very proud of it. And if you're someone who uses Uplift, just so you're aware of the difference, uh, Uplift is great when you have a large age range of kids, so little kids. And also um, as parents, if you wanna be learning in advance for these lessons with your family, it's a great resource. I still use that for my own family, um, especially my little kids. My program is great as a supplement to that or on its own for really kids 10 and up. And it's great when you don't have a ton of time, maybe you don't feel like you want to or need to put in the prep work in advance. You just wanna pop something on on Sunday that the kids will watch. And that is good, solid, scientifically based um, spirituality to help structure a conversation with your kids that you can be building a spiritual environment that is supportive of them learning who they are and really claiming a path that helps their own mental and emotional and spiritual health and you just being there um, to support them in that and in their discovery of that. 
So that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to be sure that the listener of this podcast, the listeners of this podcast who have appreciated our conversations, um, but wanted to have, you know, we're always looking for ways to, for how to get these tools to the next generation. I wanted to make sure that you guys heard it from me first. And uh, it's available on my new and updated website, nononsensespirituality.com. And you can look up coaching and I have a couple courses there and I have this Gen Z program if you would like to check it out for just being able to put these videos on on a Sunday to structure new spiritual conversations for your teen to help them find their and really claim their own spiritual path and their own spiritual voice. And to be honest, it's like the thing that I most needed when I was 16, right? When I was kicked out of my home, when I was searching and I just, I just wanted to know like what the world was and who I am and what do I do? And I was so lost in that space. And honestly, I was so broken because my options were nothing, like no guidance, no family, no, I'll help you with your tuition at BYU-Idaho. Like my options were nothing or find some way to come back to Mormonism and especially this kind of strict version of Mormonism that I was taught. And at 16, like those were my two options. And both of them like just hurt me and broke me because I, I couldn't resonate with either one and, and both seemed really scary. And so, you know, Bill and I talk about on this podcast a lot that we help in this world where we were most hurt. And so this program, not only do I believe in it for your family, but it it also has a lot of personal meaning for me because it's the thing that I most needed at that age when I was the most broken, when I was removed from my family and alone, just trying to figure out who I am and, and what's going on in the world and how do I navigate all of this. So from me to you guys, check out the website. And uh, I'm really excited to hear your comments for those who sign up for it. It's $100 for um, unlimited access to this course. It's not a yearly thing. It's it's just uh, $100 up front. And um, I think that that, and I keep adding even more resources to it. So I really think it's it's worth your, it's worth your, your money if you're trying to find ways for the shortest amount of time to have these conversations with, with your kids. All right. That part's done. The second part of today's conversation, I guess, conversation with myself mostly, um, is that is a video that I talked that I posted on TikTok, and I joined TikTok a few weeks ago when I had knee surgery, and you know, it, let's say I think uh, one hundred and fifty thousand people liked this video, and that might not seem like it's viral, but. <laughs> Let's remember, I'm in a very niche space of trying to talk about secular spirituality. And so it doesn't get like the instant likes that, you know, the ex-evangelical or ex-Mormons or atheists or the people who are pro, you know, religion in that space. You'll get instant camps that will like all of your videos. This is a very niche space. So, you know, in a couple weeks, 150,000 people liking it and commenting on it and saying, this really resonates with me, gets me excited about maybe I'm onto something here. So what I did in this video is I had a Venn diagram with three circles. So not just two overlapping circles, but three overlapping circles where they all overlap in the middle. And uh, one of those is religion. And one of those is the occult. 
and one of those is atheism. And what I was arguing is that the best place was to, to be was in this middle space that has all the best tools and avoids the pit and avoids all the pitfalls. So um, I'm going to kind of flesh this out and then I'm going to put a lot of language for what's going on in this center space, which I'm guessing is the majority of people in this audience, because if you're watching you know, me and Bill on this podcast, you're probably in this space too. And I just want to really flesh out what's going on in this center space. So first you start with atheism, or you could use the word skepticism here or science even. Um, but it's basically just the intellectual honesty to say, we can't all be right about these God claims. We always think we have the truth. And then we look back in, you know, in history and we can say from our perspective now, yeah, we were mostly wrong about most things. And we have to start the conversation with science being on the table. It's the best tool that we have for just trying to figure out what is going on here. How can we check our intuitions or our feelings or our theories? Um, how can we have some kind of check to reality? And when I say science, I don't mean just what fits in the beaker is the only things that exist. I even mean just like the science of happiness, the science of well-being, brain science, the, just the ability to have an objective conversation about subjective reality. Otherwise, we really can't see outside of our own uh, blinders and biases enough to say anything about the world except our own experience. So science has to be on the table if we're talking about something that is more than just our own experience. So the Achilles heel, though, is that if you were just to set up camp here, um, the tool of skepticism is great, but it doesn't build anything, right? It is a bulldozer. That's what it's there for. And you need that. But it can't build. And I had a lot of people in my comments say something like, hey, I'm an atheist, but I build a really moral or spiritual good life and you don't need anything else. And I don't doubt those people. But you used something other than atheism. You use something other than skepticism in order to make choices or to build something meaningful, especially if you're parenting. If you're parenting, you probably have at least one other tool then hey, like don't trust that idea right away. Be skeptical. Like that is a great tool to teach your kids, but it can't be the only tool, right? Or else you're just tearing things down and being skeptical. And so one of the problems with atheism and humanism too, I think, is that it's so busy trying to keep Christianity out of government or trying to give rights to gay people or just basic objections. You know, in the South, we have Adam and Eve and in science books. And it just hasn't had enough time to build anything, um, you know, talking about humanism here, to replace the order and structure and story and community that religion provides. So humanism has books and it has its own Ten Commandments. But unless you're looking for them, you probably don't know what they are. And certainly there's not a building yet nearby where other similar minded people are reading these stories together and teaching them to each other's children and all of that. So the more we look into the study of well-being and its connection with religion, the more we see that, especially when you're young, the order and structure and story and community and identity is really healthy for first half of life and allows you to be more authentic and more intentional during second half of life because you have that foundation to jump off of. It's just like when kids are really little, if 
if they have a really, really strong connection with mom, feel really safe with mom, when you go to the playground, they'll actually explore further than the kids who um, don't have that safety and connection with mom. And I think it's kind of similar for first half and second half of life. Um, so some people have hoped that after this period of deconstruction and then as more people leave religion, new stories will be written that will be uniting for people. Or maybe we never have such grand stories again because everything's being rec recorded. And so there's not going to be anything miraculous enough to get people to be zealous enough to push that momentum forward. But the, the whole point of this section is that skepticism, science, intellectual humility needs to be on the table in this discussion. It has to be there. But on its own, you can get stuck, stuck there because honestly, gathering atheists is like herding cats. Trust me, it is not easy to do. Uh, I follow, you know, atheist, any kind of movement here in Idaho, there's a humanism organization, there's atheist things, just trying to get everyone together to uh, stargaze one night is really, really hard. Because if you don't have those community bonds, if you don't have some of these things that religion has, it's really hard to get people together. And it's good when we're together. It's good to be a part of a community. Okay, so Atheism, skepticism, science is one circle on its own. It has limitations for what you can build. Uh, second circle is religion. And it's hard for me to admit sometimes, but there is a reason that religion has lasted so long. Meaning as humans, we have very few things that last hundreds, even thousands of generations. Whether it is right or wrong or true or not true, it has resources. A lot of these resources are psychological. So um, being really productive and having a community and not having to think about death, maybe that's just a really helpful psychological tool, even if that God isn't real, right? So I work as a spiritual director. I'm always working with what is this belief doing for you psychologically? What feeling do you not want to feel here that this belief is helping you to ignore? Right. So some of these resources are psychological and hopefully we can outgrow some of those things and face, you know, face death, face uncertainty, face meaninglessness. But you have to have some privilege to face those things. Those are really scary things. And our brains do not like to think about those things. Um, and then some of these uh, resources are tribal resources like rituals for coming of age or marriage that unite the tribe. And it's good for individual and social health. And then some of these resources are literal resources, meaning I could move tomorrow and show up and ask for some Mormons nearby to help me unload my van and they would bring me casseroles. And that's just built in by saying, hi, I'm Mormon, right? Which I love the joke that atheism is a privilege because um, you don't just walk into a black Christian church in the South and say, you're free. There is no God. Jesus isn't coming because there's a whole history and culture of restorative theology that Jesus is going to come and the last will be first and the first will be last. And that is a whole system that have helped blacks in the South survive literally and psychologically. So anyone who's been a listener of the podcast knows that I'm a fan of reverse inquisition, meaning whatever religion stole and used for its benefit, I really want to now steal back. Um, so ritual, story, community, calendars, awe, pilgrimage, 
places to hear people from different walks of life. Um, you know, in my in my local Mormon ward, there are people who are rich and poor, and there are farmers, and there are people who are Democrats and Republicans, and you have to bump up against these people. And um, Terrell Givens called it the sociological genius of Mormonism. It's just to draw a square and say, show up and serve and love these people. And there's a certain genius of that because I bump into people who are really different from me less often, um, kind of outside being forced to show up with people on Sundays. But there's this, um, there's this pessimistic philosopher that I love. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but I, talk, I think about this a lot, so I have a lot of thoughts here, but stay with me. There's this pessimistic philosopher I love. His name is Arthur Schopenhauer, and he's just a grumpy old goose, but he says that sometimes truth needs a vehicle. And I do think that there's something to that. Like religion may not be capital T true, but it acts as a vehicle for things that are helpful. Like I don't think that the Book of Mormon is a true historical book, but I do think there's a tool there for people who say, I'm going to commit to reading something every day and quieting my mind and praying to God even if there's no God and the book isn't real, there's a tool there, a tool of building good habits, a tool of character, a tool of having that line to your intuition open daily and checking in with yourself every day, being open to um, insights wherever they come from, even if from your own mind. So even people who say I'm a secular Buddhist, I'm a fan of that, but I also just want to recognize that we have these tools from Buddhism because a religion housed those truths and those practices for thousands of years, and it took a religion to do that, to get those tools to us. So this is where I disagree with Sam Harris. So Sam is very bothered by the Abrahamic religions and their issues, and he's critical of religious moderates. And um, I'm on board with all of that. Like, I don't disagree with what he's saying and, and um, his skepticism about faith and things like that. But when you ask him about Sufi mystics and whether it's okay to dance the whirling dervish, which is the Sufi dance, you have one hand up here, um, receiving kind of the love of God and then one hand like this planting into the ground. And it's like this connection uh, where you're receiving and also giving. And it's, it's actually really beautiful and the music's really beautiful. And someone asked him, is it okay to participate in some of these Eastern rituals? And he said something to the effect of, yeah, I think it's okay to do these things and get the benefits of the experience as long as you kind of push away the truth claims that we just can't know. And I think that the hypocrisy there, or maybe not hypocrisy, but, but I think the blind side there is that he participated in India with Sufis and monks who have been trained by religion um, and these religious practices that have been passed down. And he learned valuable tools and he had to have boundaries with truth claims that didn't make sense to him. But I think the thing that stands out to me is that that's also what millions of Christians also do. They show up and have and experience valuable tools, psychological tools, centering prayer, community, singing together, whatever it is. And then you have to kind of push on the, the truth claims that have snuck that have snuck in. And he did that with Eastern religion. And sometimes I don't think he um, allows that to happen in America with Western religion, with Abrahamic religions. Anyway, that's a side tangent. But I had a lot of comments of on, the, on this section 
that religion is evil and it does nothing and um, it's just going to always be corrupt. But it wouldn't have been a part of human life for a hundred thousand years if it didn't do something helpful for survival, if it didn't do something for our brains and our health and our bodies, right? Um, and maybe it's something we can outgrow, but it did something and whatever those tools are need to be accessible in society. So some already are like a thousand years ago, if you're a peasant in England, the only music you will hear is church is at church on Sundays, but I'll go to a Weezer concert and sing my favorite songs. And we're all listening to that music at the same time. And we're all singing and you get a little bit of a high from it. Um, and so now it would be silly to say like, we need churches or else where would we hear music? Like that's not an argument anymore. Like we have music all around us and whatever music you like and whatever music speaks to you, you can find others that that music resonates with and you guys can go sing together. Um, but other things are not quite there. Like community is hard to replace. I do it piecemeal. Like my husband has his friends and I have my friends and my kids have their friends and they do different sports, but it's not all of us being a part of a community with something that binds us all together. And I truly do miss that. And I think most ex-Mormons, um, you know, maybe after the anger period, which is a healthy period for, you know, those, that first year or two, especially, um, you'll ask them, do you, do you miss that? And it's something that a lot of people miss. But if you leave religion unto its own devices, our tribalism takes over, it becomes fundamentalism, and we are so sure about the unseen world that we do really stupid things in the world right in front of us. In fact, I just read this week, um, it was so interesting. I don't know if, if we could ever really go this far in America, but Japan was starting to crack down on religion's role in child abuse and saying that we can't use the excuse anymore of hiding behind religion. So it was December 26th of uh, 2022, Japan announced that, quote, using threats to force children to engage in religious activity, preventing them from marriage or study on the basis of religious doctrine amounts to child abuse, according to the new guidelines drawn up by Japan's welfare ministry, because what was happening is um, as they were doing child abuse cases, you would bump up against this argument, but we don't allow this person to marry this person under our religion. We don't allow you to go study these kinds of things because of religion or they have to come to church with us or participate in whatever religion or they'll be beaten. And you have to say, okay, there's religion there. We have to respect that, but you can't use that, you know, as part of child abuse. And then there's other guidelines that say that phrases like you will go to hell and other threats to force children to participate in religious activity amounts to child abuse. And so I'm curious, like what would happen in America if there was a bill proposed that if you say you are going to go to hell to a gay kid, it amounts to child abuse. Like how would that, it would be, I think it would be very explosive in America and everybody would react how you would expect them to react. But I don't know if you could even get that passed in America because um, that would be a very incendiary uh, bill to try to get passed because there is this belief in America that I can tell my gay kid that these actions will cause you to go to hell. And 
that that's just kind of seen as okay. And other countries are starting to crack down on statements like that because of the damage that it does to children. This one was interesting too. They also say in Japan that not offering adequate food to children due to lack of living expenses caused by massive religious donations can also be abused. So in certain, especially cults, but in certain um, religions where all of your money is going to the church and then you're not able to feed your children, that would be considered child abuse. And so I wonder how that would go here. And especially you Mormon listeners who are listening where, you know, you may have time have times in your lifetime where you remember not having enough food because of donations that you were giving to a religion. Um, you know, would that ever be assumed as child abuse in America? And then uh, preventing children from interacting with friends who do not believe in the same religion, also under child abuse. So they're starting to categorize these religious things under child abuse. And so this is what we have to do with any religion. Society has to step in when the beliefs are so sure and the devoutness is so intense that it's damaging and harmful, especially to children who don't have any choice in what's real and what's not real. And tribalism and groupthink hierarchy is all ingrained into us. And so it has to be checked or it becomes very violent and very dangerous very fast. So that's the religious circle. There are tools and resources. There's a reason that's that it's existed for so long, um, but unchecked, it will always become fundamentalism. If we didn't have the check of science pushing up against Christianity, the world, the Western world, would be a lot different than what it is today. Okay, and then you have the third circle, which is the occult, and these are essentially the tools that exist outside of religion that are usually to help you tap into your intuition. So you can look back at the history of paganism and Christianity, and it has this long entwined history with Christianity being more masculine, Christianity is more organized, more powerful, certainly, and then paganism being more feminine, more earthy, more intuitive, and they kind of have this you know, relationship over time and they'll have rises and dips, um, and they'll steal things from each other too. They have a long history, but this is where you get, um, you know, tarot cards, solstice, crystals, astronomy, mediums, energy, horoscopes. I would even put psychedelics in this camp um, because or even just like general mysticism to some extent here where it's less about truth claims and churches and leaders and more about spirituality at the level of experience. So this world is not as organized as religion is. It wouldn't even probably claim to be part of the relig of religion. There's not many commandments of what you can and cannot do, but it's also not as skeptical as the atheist circle. And so my concern with this circle is that even though there's tools here, um, our intuitions can be wrong. We are very susceptible primates to superstition and to pattern making and for our intuitions to be guided by what we want to be true or driven by our fears or driven by our need to predict the future so we can feel safe. So by itself, this world becomes very fuzzy, very prone to spiritual bypassing. You know, it's not me being an asshole. It's Mercury being in retrograde. Or, you know, my tarot lady said that this relationship was doomed and then she was right. It's not working out or good vibes only energy people where you're basically so into the world of woo that you've lost all connection to science and you have no check to your ego, really. 
And I'm not saying like, there are some of these things that are mysterious to me. There are experiences that either I've had or other people have had that, yeah, I can't fully explain that. Like that's mysterious. So I'm not saying that I perfectly know um, what's, what's good and solid spirituality and what's woo in this space. We're still catching up to the science in this area. And so I'm not saying this in a way that says like, you know, I know what's really going on here, but I do know there is an edge of this that is spiritual bypassing that becomes very scientifically fuzzy where you have competing truth claims. Um, things like, you know, the secret where if you put out your frequency and some of that language can, when you start to get scientists to get on board with this language, it becomes really tricky for them to get on board because there'll be truth claims about the universe and about energy and stuff that's um, mixed in there. You see this whenever Deepak Chopra goes and talks to a university. And I saw him talk one time and it was to like um, physicists or um, astronomers or something like that. And he was getting ripped to shreds because they just couldn't get on board with some of his language. So some of this world is still mysterious to me and I'm still learning and I'm still trying to figure out what's what's helpful as a tool and what's maybe too too woo for me. But at the very least, we can say there are people out here that have gotten lost in the world of their own intuition without any checks to what's driving your intuition or your ego or science or something else to just make you check what's going on, right? So... You're just kind of creating and filling in patterns like your own profit in order to feel some order in your life. And there's better ways to be using these tools. So I'm a fan of symbolism. I'm a fan of, um, you know, Jungian psychology to help you dig into your subconscious. I'm a fan of the work that you can do in psychedelics. But then people start talking about, well, I'm sure that I was Julius Caesar in my past life. And it's like, okay, I know that's true, maybe on the basis of your experience on a psychedelic trip, but it may not be capital T true, right? Because you can see some weird shit when you're on a trip. So it's about how can we use these tools and not get lost in the world of whatever our brain wants us to see for whatever reason our brain wants to see that, which oftentimes is avoiding fears right especially that uncertainty fear you know i i when i look at the horoscope world i see a lot of um wanting to maintain some level of control and order in your life so that you feel safer but if you actually confront that fear more directly then you don't need to get the planets involved in you know trying to trying to feel safe in in your life and feel uncomfortable and and feel comfortable in uncertainty. So those were my three circles, okay? So atheism, skepticism, science is a circle. Religion and all its tools is a circle. Occult and all its tools is a circle. Each of them have tools to offer the conversation. Um, and each of them, I think by itself, has blind spots, right? They need a check. And so they overlap in the middle, but they also overlap on each edge. So where atheism and religion overlap, and I had a lot of people push back on this, but I stand by it. Where atheism and religion overlap, um, this is where your atheism is so tribal 
that even though it's not a religion, it's functioning like a religion. So I see a lot of ex-Mormons, for example, spend a year or two there when the church isn't true, but all the structure in their brain is still there. So pick whoever it is, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, John DeLynn, whoever it is, is the new prophet. These are the people in your in-group. These are the people that are out. You're a missionary. You're better than everyone because you know the truth. There are certain books that we all read and there's subreddits that we all go on. And it's functioning like a little religion. And so if you don't think it's a religion, try going on to ex-Mormon subreddit and say something outside the accepted narrative. So if you go on to ex-Mormon subreddit and write something like, I really loved my mission. It was the best thing for me and my development. And I'm glad missions exist for 18 year old boys. I think it's a really good thing. That may be genuinely true for you, but it's not on brand for that culture. And so you can't say it or you will get roasted, right? And so I think it is dangerous when atheism becomes a religion unto itself, because again, it's not standing for anything on its own. It's really just a religion of being a self-righteous ass. And I say that as someone who loves to be a pompous, intellectual, atheist asshole, <laughs> but without that self-reflection piece that comes from you know, the intuition mystic side, it's just a religion of skepticism. And that's not going to be something beautiful and awe-inspiring in the long term, um, especially as I'm thinking what kind of life I want to pass down to my children, just being the intellectual atheist ass at the table. Um, is not the only thing that I want to give them, even though I have had moments where I've been that guy and I will still have moments where I'm that guy because it feels really good. <laughs> but um, yeah, when, when atheism is functioning like, like a religion, I don't think it's, it's really the best side of atheism. And I don't think it does, I don't think it does the atheism brand any good to, to be that guy, right? Especially when, you know, for most of my life, I was Mormon. And so when I act like you have to be an idiot to be a Mormon, there's many inner selves who are feeling shamed by me saying that. So it's, it's not the best that atheism can do, but it can act that way when atheism becomes to, when, when atheism is starting to act like a religion. Where atheism and the occult overlap is essentially where there is no God, but you are open to the world of the occult. Maybe it's energy and frequency um, that begins to act like God, but it's not the theistic God of religion. This is a smaller intersection because atheists are the group with the lowest tolerance for things that are considered woo. So they're least on board with things like horoscopes. But there's about 13% of atheists who are active in the world of the occult, but do not believe in God. So that would be that intersection. And then where religion and the occult intersect would be things like witch covens or ayahuasca church or occult practices that start to gather people and it begins to function like a religion. It's still going to be kind of loose, especially without that skepticism piece. Everyone's going to be kind of believing their own thing, but it's going to start to gather and do things like full moon rituals. Or if you get a, reg a regular cult, uh, like witch coven meeting together for every season, that's kind of where 
the occult is starting to gather and function and provide um, rituals in the way that religions do and community benefits. And you start even doing things where you can bring your children. And um, so the occult can start to gather and act like a religion too. And where I like to play, what I'm advocating for is this little spot in the middle that none of the three are happy with, right? The occult doesn't like to admit that sometimes you go too far and you're way too out there, right? Because they'll just say, oh, your mind, your third eye has not yet been opened or some shit, right? Um, and the atheists do not like to hear that there's any tools in religion. And religions do not like to hear that you need to deconstruct and that you're probably believing a lot of things that are not true. So nobody is happy, right? Um, as far as like the loud tribal camps of these three circles. But I'm still advocating for this place in the middle where you get to access any tools for working with your intuition, whether it be mushrooms or dream journaling, journaling. but it is heavily, heavily checked by science and skepticism. And when it's against what we know in science, we go no further. Or if the science is fuzzy, like we know some things, but some things are mysterious, we just stay open to the idea that this is a theory and this is not doctrine. So to me, this is the best place to be spiritually. It's the best of all three worlds. You get science at the table. You can keep your skepticism. You're trying to build good tools, stealing anything that you can from religion. And you're open to the world of the occult for, the, for that deep inner work while not getting lost in some of those rabbit holes that get really fuzzy. So to me, this is the place with all of the presence and none of the Santa Claus. And there's no one movement that claims this space. So I've been thinking a lot about it. And here are some words that I think would fit this space. So secular Buddhism, for sure. You can have community sanghas. You have the skepticism. You're digging out the tools. Um, I think secular Buddhism is, is a movement in this space. Atheopaganism, which is a new one I learned from TikTok, um, which is rooted in paganism, but it heavily leans on science and the study of evolution. And so it's pagan, but it's very um, science earth based and not as much, um, I would say, like the like the secret where you're trying to manifest or um, match your frequency in order to, you know, that that kind of thing. It's it's really uh, rooted in, in earth-based connection, spirituality. And so it's very, um, it has that scientific piece that I really like. Uh, spiritual atheism, we had on Nick Jankel, great um, author of the book, Spiritual Atheism, loved it. Rational Mysticism, also another favorite book of mine. I think those terms fit in this space. Secular or religious humanism, I think both of them work. So secular humanism, um, you know, that there are, so the humanism part is the values and that humans are the most important and we need to decrease suffering and all of those things. And secular meaning we're not including God in this conversation. And then religious humanism is similar, but um, will be more open to digging tools out of religions and uh, learning from our religious history in order to get those values and tools. I think both of them work in this space. I heard someone identify, um, so I'm reading through all the comments on this section, as a Jew witch. So instead of Jewish, she has the family culture of Judaism, but the personal addition of some paganism mixed in there. And so I think 
I, I really sense this movement of people intuiting this space. Like I want to keep science on the table. You know, she loved her family culture of Judaism, but she couldn't get there with some of the truth claims. She wanted some more connections. So she found some paganism and people are starting to piecemeal. I think this center space that I'm talking about because they see that um, each one on its own has some issues or has some weaknesses. Um, spiritual, but not religious, I think can get in here, but it can struggle with finding community. Uh, but these would be people who would say, you know, taking a hike is spiritual for me. So I like this group because they're not throwing out the spiritual stuff entirely, even though there's an exodus from religion. And um, so they're keeping that spiritual piece. And as long as they're kind of finding community in even just, you know, I hike with these people or I bike ride with these people or I do this kind of thing with these people, I think that that can be a healthy space too. Local dojos like jujitsu or taekwondo, especially for men, can have structure, values, community. And it's also not a full cult because you can leave at any time. But um, this is what I put my son in. My son is about to get his black belt and he's 12. And it's going to be his kind of like rite of passage. And instead of paying tithing, I literally pay for him to go to this dojo so that a man can teach him about responsibility and about compassion and about all these values and he steps onto the mat and he bows you know so there's some ritual behind it and i really love i really love this for him and i really feel like it's filling in some of the structure that he was missing for a few years after i left the church um, secular Christianity is a term I like when you're secular, but you find value in the character of Jesus, just as a person, as a teacher, and you want to kind of gather with people who want to be kind and revolutionary like Jesus. Um, Christian deist is also close to this where you believe in God, but not the Trinity. And you just attend Christianity for the values that it's bringing. Um, UU fits into this. They're really trying to claim the space of not being a cult, but still drawing people together with values and purpose. I wish at this point, as I'm watching you, you, um, I wish that it wasn't so dependent on the politics of the left. Because I think it's better when both the left and the right can find value in a community. Um, I think it lasts longer, especially when you can have that. And so I think UU is still acting as, um, you know, because the evangelical Christian movement is on the right and there's Christianity on the right, it's really acting as um, in opposition to that. So it's doing Jesus from the left. And so I don't think it fully yet stands on its own because it hasn't been able to draw in people who have political values that are more conservative. And so that concerns me, but it's a very interesting congregation to watch. And as the right gets more um, intense into politics, certainly as it gets more culty, I think it's drawing in people who still want to hold on to Jesus, but are really disgusted by Christian right politics. So I, I don't think it stands on its own. I think that um, it's kind of taking in the people who are leaving evangelical Christianity. But I hope over time it can be able to be more than just um, the Jesus of the political left, which is kind of where it leans now, from what I understand, from what I'm reading, right? The books in the space that I really like, I really like Religion for Atheists, Good Without God, Waking Up, 
the awakened range. We're going to be discussing that with the author Lisa Miller in two weeks. So definitely come on for that discussion. That's going to be amazing because she's really into digging into the science of spirituality and what it's doing in our brains. Absolutely fascinating. <coughs> Excuse me. But any book that really just contains the intersection of science, human nature, the meaning of life, something like that is going to be probably a book that I would like. And I condensed all of that down. I've been talking almost an hour now. I condensed all of that down into like two minutes on TikTok, which is like nothing. But that's the bigger spiel I have on really what I'm trying to accomplish here and what I think is starting to resonate with other people. And I'm not doing this because I think I'm going to win this fight because like I said, I think these camps are really strong and really loud um, and really dogmatic, but it's the project that I choose to work on with my life's energy because I think that it's better than whatever else is on offer. And I have kids that I took out of religion and I want them to have some tools for how to get through life. Um, and to be honest, I'm still figuring that out as I go. So those are my thoughts for today. Check out my website. It's a brand new website. Same same domain name though, no nonsense spirituality.com. I have more resources. Um, check out the Gen Z program. If you have kids and are like me trying to navigate the space and trying to help draw our kids to the space, even though there's not a great name for it, even though there's not a ton of churches in this space. Um, I think that's where, I, I think that's where the good spot is. And so if you're also trying to help both yourself and your kids kind of navigate that space, check out my new program. That's it for me. Uh, keep it real. Keep it no nonsense. Next week, Bill and I will be discussing Brian McLaren's book, 10 Reasons to Stay, 10 Reasons to Leave. If um, this is especially for those who feel like you're always kind of on that edge and thinking about the pros and cons on whether to leave or stay a religious community. And so we'll be talking about those. And then the week after we'll be doing Lisa Miller and the awakened brain. So those are two really great conversations we have coming up because Bill and I are still trying to learn and put things together on this journey. And I appreciate you all and hope that um, if you try out the program, let me know what you think, or let me know um, any feedback that you have. I'm still adding things to it because I, I really believe that if we can individually get a sense of secular spirituality. Um, it's really the best, the, the best path on offer that hopefully, you know, doesn't put you up in another faith crisis, which for me was a very long and painful process. Um, but also something that gives me a lot of purpose and meaning and joy and love and really the good stuff of life that I don't think atheism by itself can do on its own. So that's my shtick and check out the website and thank you everybody for joining me today. I'll uh, read through these comments and respond um, on YouTube. So that's it for me today. Bye everyone. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.